Are you ready? It's that time! Now everyone can see our reaction to our own theme music. What a joy that is. Um, it, it's it been so long since I've listened to it that I did not remember there was a cow at the end. Um, <laughs> Welcome everyone to Man Buns and Jesus. This is uh, season five. I'm, I'm Josh Laboris. I'm one of your hosts here, uh, joined by my co-host Ben Olschlager and some exciting news before we get to our topic for today. We are we're switching the platform that we're recording on, and that's why if you watch on YouTube, there the theme song is now there as well. Um, but also, I have a whole menu of sound effects that I'm probably going to abuse during the following couple episodes. So buckle up for that. Um, but overall, we're excited about this. We think it's going to be a positive change, and we hope that the the quality on your end. Uh, see some improvement as as our hopefully loyal listeners. I guess I don't know. I don't know about your loyalty levels. I hope they're there. Um, but also, all that aside, this is we are we're in season five of Man Buns and Jesus. But uh, we're going to detour a little bit for those of you who maybe have missed what we've done so far this season. It is the season of Exodus. So we've been walking through some different texts and different themes from the Book of Exodus. But as we're recording this, this is uh, we're recording this on the Thursday after Ash Wednesday, and we're looking forward into the season of Lent, which started yesterday, and this is going to be released on the Tuesday, so the first Tuesday of Lent, and we thought it might be good, it might be helpful for us to talk about what does it look like, it, we talk about Lent as a penitential season, but what does that actually look like, and I've actually, I recently had a conversation about this and Ben, I know we, we talked, we're going to a different text with this, but I'm, I'm going to stick with this introduction anyway, because recently I had a Bible study with uh, a bunch of gentlemen on the fall and we were studying the fall. And a lot of you are probably familiar with that. That's the, the, um, the event uh, where Adam and Eve committed the first sin and that was the fall of mankind. But what sometimes doesn't get as much attention is when God confronts them on that sin, on that first sin, Adam says, the woman that you gave me is what caused me to do this. And then Eve says, well, the serpent tricked me. And it, with this Bible study that I was, I was in, what that led to is a conversation about how we deal with guilt. And the reality is very infrequently, and this is the conclusion we kind of came to with this Bible study, which I think is a a correct conclusion, we don't very frequently actually have an attitude of penitence or repentance. Even when we say, I'm sorry, or when we apologize, more often than not, people will follow that with, I'm sorry, but, and they'll, they'll justify it somehow, or they'll try to explain, like, they'll almost, they'll undercut their own apology. Um, 
we much prefer to deal with guilt in other ways. So I think this season of Lent is really good for us to take some time and think about how do we actually cultivate an attitude of repentance and penitence and the humility that comes with that. So um, unless you have somewhere else to go with this, Ben, what I'd like to kind of kick it over to you with is what are some of the different ways that you think are we tend to deal with guilt instead of just showing penitence? Sure. So I guess I want to start by defining penitence um, because that's a very Christianese word. Um, and it's not one that, uh, Josh, I'm assuming you're using in the middle of your everyday conversations. You'd be surprised the conversations that I have on a daily basis, but that's, no, I I don't think that a a normal, uh, (laughs) well-adjusted person is regularly using the word penitence these days. Yeah. It's, it's like, uh. I was at my, my grandma's church for Christmas at some point in seminary, so four or five years ago. And uh, oh, what was the word? Um, I can't remember exactly what the text was, but there was some big, like, very theological word in the text for Christmas. And the pastor goes, Who's used that in the last two weeks? And we just cover it in some seminary class. My hand shot up. <laughs> other than the seminary student. <laughs> yeah, you got to keep in mind when you're talking to me, you're talking about a guy who likes to use words like brouhaha and cattywampus and chicanery. So, <laughs> yeah. I should anyway. not be the metric for what the average use of language <laughs> in this world is. Um, Fair. Um, but anyway, penitence probably good for us to think about it as the act, excuse me, the act or mindset of being repentant. Um, So. Which repentant might also be worth a definition. True. That's the, the acknowledgement of wrongdoing of sin, of guilt, uh, of shame, and not just like, leaning into it for the sake of despairing, but turning away from those things that brought you guilt and shame as a result of you doing them. Um, So hopefully that helps clarify some things there, but um, that is what we're encouraged to do as Christians, uh, as Josh was kind of getting into, but you're also right that we don't do a good job of that. And I mean, you've already given a couple of examples here that I will, you know, touching on again briefly of ways that we don't do this healthily. Um, first is deflecting. Uh, yeah, I screwed up, but it's actually somebody else's fault. Um, both Adam and Eve in the garden do that, right? Uh, Adam says, it, was, it wasn't me, it was the woman. Um, and he actually kind of double the flex there. He says, it wasn't me. It was the woman you gave me. Um, Which just, of all the bad moves. Yeah, seriously. Blame the Blame creator God of the for universe. your sinfulness. <laughs> Which, to be fair, people still do that today. Which oh, is yeah. crazy. Yeah. Um, so that's one. And then the second would be... Uh, like 
explaining it away by explaining your good intentions, I guess. Um, like, I didn't mean to hurt you. I meant it to come out like this. It really wasn't a sin because, like... Because I didn't mean it that way. Yeah, exactly. Um, to, to shine a different light on what you did or said so that it doesn't look as bad. Exactly. Uh, to control the narrative, uh, as it were. And, and to be fair, in some of those circumstances, the thing that the person did really was meant out of a place of, of generosity um, or as generous as a human sinful heart can get. Um, and it can still hurt. Like, yeah. And sins, accidental those... sins, are still sins, right? Yeah. If you say something and someone receives it the wrong way and it hurts them, you have still hurt them. Yeah. Now, I think there is some there's some conversation probably to be had of um, it's also on them to put the best construction on things, but... Um, your lack of clarity resulting in someone else being hurt is still on you. Yeah. And even if that means the apology is, I, I'm sorry, I should have communicated better. That, I mean, that guilt is still at our door. Yeah. Um, I think the other two ways that we try and, deflect guilt or blame um, and, and push back on, on truly being penitent. Um, one, just straight up like lying about it. Like, no, that's not actually what happened. This is what happened. And the story we make up is just another fabrication um, meant to seem plausible, but make us look a lot better and, you know, make the the end result the the fault of some unnamed third party, or maybe even devil the devil or something like. Just as long as it starts to steer blame away from us, um, and then the last version is just avoidance. Like, you can't feel guilt if... That's not one of my sound effects. That was Ben's ringtone. Yeah. Let the record show. Yeah, that's true. Um, it's one of those where, like, you can't feel guilt if... You just never acknowledge the guilt in the first place. Not saying well, that this is a healthy way, but, like, this is a way that people try to avoid it. Well, and, and some of the to kind of put some flesh on that, I think one of the ways that people love to do that is, I mean, obviously there's just ignoring it. Oh yeah. But also distraction, which is something that you can use to avoid experiencing your guilt, but you can also try and distract other people from the thing you did wrong. Um, this is probably a tactic that you can paint some of the things politicians do sometimes in. Like, they do something mm. they probably shouldn't have, but then they're like, oh, look over here. Look at this other thing that's going on. Um, 
parents do it with kids. Like if they if they screw up, they're like, "And we're going. You get an Xbox." You haven't dealt kids, with the guilt, but I mean, nobody's thinking about it because kids do it with their parents too. Like, you know, kid comes home with a bad grade on their test. Ma, you know, parent gets mad. Well, hey, at least I don't have weed in my room. Um, like. It's, I think most of the times when we did that growing up, it was it was just a joke. But there there were definitely a couple times where like, hey, mom, at least we're not doing cocaine. Like, calm down. Yeah. Um, to be clear, that would not have flown in my household. That is, well, cocaine also wouldn't have flown, but that as like a a distraction. <laughs> my parents both would have been like, uh, yeah, but also we have higher standards than just not doing cocaine. <laughs> Yeah. Um, so, I mean, it's these are certainly things that we use and abuse to try and avoid feeling guilt. And I kind of preached on this yesterday, or at least it was kind of tangential to the point I was getting at yesterday. But I think a big part of why we avoid that so much is that our guilt, because of our sin, points us to the ultimate effect of our sin which is death yes and as creatures in god's created world ultimately the thing that each and every one of us probably fears the most is death well um and even if it's less extreme right because sometimes I would even say probably frequently that's not necessarily as far as people's thinking goes. Oh, I know it's not, but like it's ultimately driven by that. That's, that's an extreme. Well, that is the extreme of the reality that when you acknowledge, when you genuinely acknowledge guilt, when you are truly penitent, which I mean, if you're watching, you can look down in the bottom corner this episode's about cultivating penitence. Like, that is the goal here. You are putting yourself in a position of vulnerability because when you acknowledge guilt, you lose all the ability to talk your way out of consequences. Especially in, because we live, I shouldn't say everyone, because we have some listeners that are international inexplicably. Um, Welcome to you. But for our American listeners, like our justice system is founded on this principle of innocent until proven guilty. So as long as you don't acknowledge that guilt, as long as you can avoid uh, it being kind of concrete, you can say, well, I don't deserve any consequences for this. And that's true legally, but we use that same kind of idea in personal relationships. Like if you can't nail down that I actually did something wrong, you can't punish me for it, which also isn't true. But um, by acknowledging our guilt, we put ourselves in a position of, I mean, ultimately we're asking for mercy from someone. It puts us in someone else's power. And I think that is contrary to human nature. So Josh, are you telling us that America is wrong about something? Um, no, I want to say maybe. <laughs> because here's the thing. I don't think that where human nature takes the idea is good. 
because we, you know, you give us an inch and we try and take a mile. That's However, fair. as far as building a justice system goes, if, I mean, to kind of borrow language from computer science, if you have to pick a side to make mistakes on, a side to err on, you probably want to err on the side of innocent until proven guilty. Because if you, if you say guilty until proven innocent, you are going to punish people who don't deserve it. And if you err on the side of innocent until proven guilty, some people who are guilty are going to get away. And the question is, would you prefer some guilty people get away with it or some innocent people get punished for things they didn't do? And I personally, uh, given that I err on the side of grace anyway, would prefer that some guilty people get away with it as opposed to innocent people getting punished for things they didn't do. Um, all that to say, I think the principle for a justice system is fine. I think where we take it and how that has infected our attitude about guilt, that is where it becomes a problem. So America is kind of, is kind of wrong. It is kind of, yeah, well, whatever you want to take away with that. And we're, I mean, we're not the only country who deals with that, certainly. Um, no. But I'm not but, familiar with the culture or justice philosophies of other countries. So I, I can't speak. That's, that's fair. But it, like in saying that, it does make us stop and think and go, okay, so what should our attitude be about us and about others in terms of the way that we view them and their actions? And it's almost like God is encouraging us to say they are guilty all the time. And it is only through the son, the blood of my son, Jesus, that any of you are in, innocent in any way, shape or form. Um, and I, I taught theology last semester and a question that I kept that I think once we covered it, it was on all of my quizzes and exams. Um, until everyone in the class got it right. And the, it was, the question was, what is wrong with the question, why do bad things happen to good people? Mm. And the correct answer to what is the problem with that question is there is no such thing as a good person. Ben and I, we are not good people. You listening to this, you are not a good person. Now, Relative, if, if we're just talking about kind of dealing with other people, sure, you, you might be a, a good person. And heck, you could even say, well, I'm, a, I'm, not a, I'm not a great person, but I'm better than, you know, the average person. But as far as God is concerned, no, you're not. None of us are. We're all bad people. We all deserve to die. Except Jesus steps in and takes that punishment for us. And I think, and this can kind of start to transition us into, well, how do we actually cultivate a a better attitude about penitence? Is if if we focus a little more on that attitude of we are guilty and we do deserve consequences on like a cosmic scale. It makes it easier on some level to say, I can ask for forgiveness on a, on an individual basis. So 
that attitude and then also an attitude of, and this depends on, I guess, who is around you, but if you can trust for, if you can trust in grace, that there will be grace and we can cultivate a, uh, kind of a, a habit of gas yeah, seeking forgiveness, but also receiving grace, then it will probably make seeking forgiveness easier. Yeah. In, in my head, it was like the word wretch is stuck in my head, which basically just means worthless person. Uh, and in my head, I'm thinking about this as like, if right now, most of us kind of frame the world in terms of like, we go out and we approach the other people that we encounter through the lens of supposed good person talking to supposed person to be determined whether or not they are good or bad. Right. We're all kind of judging through the lenses of how we want to see people. If we walk out into the world and just start viewing ourselves and everyone else as a wretch in need of God's grace, it, when combined with the love of Christ, could dramatically shape our ability to really think about the way that we approach our sin, approach our penitence, approach repentance, uh, approach seasons of mourning and, and grief over our sin, like Lent. Um, so as Josh was getting into though, like, how do we, how do we cultivate that? And I think maybe a good place for us to go, Josh, this is where we can kind of dive into some of the examples, um, positive and negative. So Josh and I were brainstorming some, uh, different examples that we see in scripture of people who are uh, called out on their nonsense. Um, and uh, Josh, I'm just going to throw this to you as like, what's the one aside from the fall that strikes you the most as like, this is a clear call for repentance. What's the response you see? Is it good? Is it bad? Just give me a breakdown. So choose one. I, there are two places that my head goes. And interestingly, they're both old Testament, which is fascinating because when you think, well, we're looking for repentance and grace you're looking at New Testament, right? You'd think Jesus, but, and this is, this is a rabbit hole that I'm not going to go down. Um, but my thought is actually a lot of times when you see Jesus calling people to repentance, when like we're recorded instances of that, it's almost like it's there because they refuse. Mm. Cause a lot of times you see, well, he's calling Pharisees to repentance and they don't do it. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess you do see instant any anyway. Anyway, transitioning back. Oh yeah, I used my first sound effect. Um, the first instance that comes to mind is actually Joseph and his brothers, because 
I think a lot of us were pretty willing to acknowledge that we're guilty before God. Especially if you're listening to this podcast and you've been listening for a while. Like, we have covered the point that you are not up to God's standards and we have to rely on his grace. But what strikes me about Joseph and his brothers from the Old Testament, and this is this is in Genesis, ladies and gentlemen, so if you want to go and check it, you can, um, is it is it is between people. It, it is literally between brothers. And so for in case you are not familiar with the story, broad strokes, Joseph's brothers are jealous of him. He he doesn't necessarily help the situation because he shares some prophecies with them about how he's going to rule over them. And he's already dad's favorite. So they don't like this. So when they get the opportunity, they fake his death. So like they take his robe and they dip it in animal blood so that they can trick their, they can say, Oh dad, a, a animal killed your son. But then they sell him into slavery. So Joseph's story progresses. He he ends up in Egypt uh, after some time in prison. Um, Joseph actually ends up as the right hand man of Pharaoh, the king of Egypt. And there's a famine. Egypt is is fairly well prepared for the famine because of a warning that uh, they received through Joseph from God. Um, And Joseph's brothers end up coming to Egypt to get supplies so they can survive through this this famine. And Joseph forgives them. And here's the... They come to the point where after the father dies... The brothers go to Joseph and they admit their guilt. And I think part of that is because it has become inescapable. Like they know they screwed up and they know that Joseph both has the power and the right to punish them for selling him into slavery and for treating him poorly. And Joseph forgives them. He says, yeah, what you did was wrong, but God used it for the good of all these people. And he forgives them. So when we see, well, that's one of the first things that comes to mind. And the other thing that comes to mind, I think I'm going to kick back to you because I know this is one of the places your head goes, is David with his uh, his affair with Bathsheba. Yeah. Every time that I hear this story and I think of Nathan, I think of the hot dog brand. Uh, I don't know why Me that's... too! We're both fat. <laughs> <laughs> even that literally up here in our brain we are that's, Nathan that's... you think of the prophet do I think of my brother Nathan no hot dogs yeah yeah uh 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 well yep. in any case um yeah so the whole the whole story, just to recap. So David has sent his army out to fight uh, on the northern border of Israel. And uh, while they're out, the, the wife of one of his uh, soldiers in who lives in Jerusalem uh, is up on the roof of her house, which uh, 
they would have often used kind of as a secondary living space for all sorts of things. She's bathing up there. You would have assumed this to be somewhat private. There were often walls that kind of surrounded the place so you couldn't necessarily see in unless you had a great vantage point like David did because he lived in a palace. Um, And uh, David's like, wow, she's smoking hot. Um, And I want her. And when the king says he wants something, nobody really questions because if you don't do what the king likes, you know, it's how you usually end up dead. Um, long story short, she gets pregnant. David tries to cover it up by making the soldier sleep with his wife again. Yeah, he doesn't because he's like guilty about leaving his fellow soldiers. And so he just gets him killed so that David can take this woman. And Nathan the prophet, the hot dog man, uh, comes to comes to David and tells him this story about a wealthy landowner and his poor neighbor. Uh, the wealthy landowner has hundreds of sheep, more than he could ever use, more than he could ever like truly have need for. Um, and one day a visitor comes to see this wealthy landowner um, and to throw a dinner for him, the wealthy landowner decides to prepare a sheep for dinner. And rather than going to his own flock and taking one from the, the hundreds that he has, the, the landowner goes next door to the poor neighbor who only has one sheep and steals the one sheep and kills it. And David's immediate response is, well, then that man should be killed. To which Nathan says, that's you. And David's response, yeah, David's response is, as soon as he recognizes, like, hey, this isn't actually about sheep, this is about women, Um, I messed up, then his heart immediately goes, I was wrong. I deserve death. I like there, there's at least one Psalm and there might be multiple um, that are a result of this particular uh, occasion where David is just pouring out his heart and being like, yeah, I am the wretch of wretches. I am the most worthless of worthless humans. Uh, I am deserving of nothing but death. Um, God, is there any way you can forgive me? Um, And it's clear that he, he hates the repercussions of his sin and he wants to do better. He wants to turn away from them. Um, and it's to me, it's a really powerful reflection of his understanding of penitence that his response is turned towards God. It's not, I just hate my sin and I'm going to wallow in my filth and misery. Um, Cause there's, sometimes the temptation to do that when we're wrestling with these things. But instead he's like, God, if there's any way out of this, if there's anything that can be any beauty that can come out of this, it's only going to happen because of you. Um, and God ends up looking pretty favorably on David because of his response to this whole situation. He's still, 
punishes David pretty severely by making the son that um, this woman was pregnant with die. Uh, but David is end up, ends up being blessed because of his repentance, because of his penitence. Um, and I think that's a pretty powerful witness in a pretty terrible situation. And the fact that God looked favorably on that tells us that he can look pretty favorably on people that are stuck in just about any situation. So there's no depths to which we can't turn from our sin. Um, now, Josh, I'll throw it back to you. We we talked about one other particular example in scripture that's a little bit more complicated, a little bit more of a tweener. Uh, yeah, that just, thing we said was going to be like our primary text for the day. Yeah, that we haven't touched yet. Um, the, this one's fun because it involves a big fish. Uh, because it involves big fish. Yeah. It's all big fish, man. You never know what they're going to do. Um, anyway. What a... In case you hadn't guessed, Ben is referring to the um, to Jonah. Yeah, I'm trying to get away. I keep like my instinct is to say the story, uh, but I don't want to say the story of Jonah because people make some unfortunate connections with um, fairy tales stories in it, it with the words. Anyway, I, so, I usually go with narrative if that helps. Yeah, um, well, and historical account is good too, but it's a lot wordier. Anyway, so Jonah has a lot of instances of, call it unavoidable guilt, repentance, and then different reactions to that. So it starts off, Jonah is tasked to go to Nineveh and to call the city to repentance, and he doesn't. He runs away. And his guilt catches up with him in the form of a storm that God sends, and then... Um, People often, like, I feel like the people are like, oh, yeah, he gets swallowed by a fish. That's not the punishment, right? That is, that's the salvation. Mm -hmm. The punishment was the storm and getting thrown into the ocean. God uses the fish to save Jonah. Jonah ends up, he goes to Nineveh. He proclaims to the city. So some imagery, imagery there that makes it even more powerful of what God is doing for Jonah. Um Jonah, recognizing the depths of his sin, says, yeah, throw me into the ocean. And what do the people of God think of the ocean in that time? This is the gate of hell itself. So he's literally saying, my misdeeds before God deserve nothing but to be sent to Sheol. And like... God says, not big fish. Anyway. Yeah. In any case, so that's our first kind of interaction between guilt and mercy. And then you move forward. And Jonah does repent, right? Because he he changes Ish. his ways. Yeah, he stops running away from the task God gave him. And he goes to Nineveh and he, he announces to the city their guilt and their need for repentance. 
And then he goes off essentially to wait because he is expecting the city to be destroyed. The city repents. And from the highest levels of authority, they say, everyone put on sackcloth and ashes and we're going to be repentant. Uh, We're going to be more faithful to who God has called us to be. And God relents and he shows mercy on this city. So there you again, you see they can, they're confronted by their guilt. They deal with their guilt. They repent and then there's grace. And then Jonah messes up again because he gets mad at God for forgiving the people of the city. And God teaches another lesson to him there. Um, And so Jonah, we see kind of this pattern of guilt and a confrontation with guilt and repentance and, and mercy. Um, and I think that's, that can teach us some helpful lessons for cultivating penitence in our own lives. And frankly, it also, I think teaches us some, it shows us some things that are hard to recreate in our own lives because one thing that happens consistently in all these is the people are unavoidably confronted with their guilt. And we started this podcast off talking about how good we are at avoiding being unavoidably confronted by our guilt. Like we're, we're pretty good at weaseling our way out. So uh, we, my advice to you as a listener, given how God goes about confronting people with their guilt is maybe don't wait for him to have to do it because when he does it, it tends to be things like, I don't know, cataclysmic storms (laughs) or I don't know the 10 plagues of Egypt come to mind. Like put, and here's, here is kind of my practical advice on it. Have people in your life who are willing to call you out and confront you with your guilt. If you don't have any friends who are willing to call you out, find some. Mm -hmm. Your church community is probably a pretty good place for it. Um, One example, a, a positive example I have is I have a Tuesday night men's Bible study. Um, and those gentlemen have developed relationships with one another that are strong, that are resilient to the point that they're willing to call each other out on the things they shouldn't be doing. Uh, and that includes some, some very sensitive, vulnerable parts of life. And they, they're willing to step into those roles and say, Hey, this is something you shouldn't have done or you shouldn't be doing and kind of forces, they force one another to deal with guilt. So that's kind of one of the lessons you get from Jonah is have some people in your life that are going to help you deal with guilt. Um, But also to be less afraid of actually confessing Mm. and because there is grace And is everyone in your life going to show you grace? No. No. Because they're they're fallen humans too. And we have to kind of accept that. But what I would encourage you to do is, um, 
especially if you're listening to this and you're in the Christian mindset, like be less afraid of being repentant because we trust in grace. And it may be idealistic, but I like to believe that if you are genuine in your confession, that most people are willing to offer grace. Because I think deep down we all know that we need it too. So as far as how do we cultivate penitence, have people who are willing to call you out so you can't avoid your guilt as easily. And keep in mind how repentant attitudes are usually met in the scripture. Mm -hmm. And I think you'll find on the practical side of things too, that when you acknowledge and confront your faults, people find that attractive, not in the like inspiring, I want to take over the world kind of way, but in terms of like a, this is somebody that I want to do life with. This is somebody I want to be a friend. I want to be a part of my congregation. This is somebody I enjoy working with. This is somebody that, uh, you know, I, I appreciate having teach my kids. This is something that, or this is somebody that, um, you know, I want to stand next to on Sunday mornings and sing about Jesus with like, you create you create a much stronger relationship in weakness than you do out of strength and being penitent being uh, repentant in the way that you interact uh, and acknowledging the, the times where you fail and having your faults um, can certainly be a part of that now I will acknowledge that there are also kind of some limits to that like if you're having a rough day and you think a disparaging thought about somebody, I don't know, maybe you've got a coworker that sends you an email and it's just timed the absolute wrong moment. And you're like, next person that sends me something is going to get their head ripped off. And they just happen to be the one. And you, you know, envision yourself, maybe drop kicking them out of the building, um, which would be impressive honestly, um, you don't need to tell that person, Hey, I sinned against you by imagining myself drop kicking you out of the building. Cause if you told everybody your, your, all of your thoughts, your weakest times, people might think you're insane. Yeah. But that is a good time to go to God in prayer and say, Hey, I'm overwhelmed. I'm feeling broken. Grant me your forgiveness. Help me to love your people again. Um, because when we do experience those kinds of like sinful impulses and, and thoughts and actions, um, even if we're being penitent, being repentant with the people that uh we're interacting with or we're impacted by that sin. It's also good for us to go to God and and bring our concerns to him as well. Yeah. And with all of this, there is no magic bullet 
mm-hmm. for like putting yourself in a better place as far as how willing you are to seek forgiveness. Um, except for practice, like with so yeah. many other things, you just have to start doing it. And yeah. the more you do it, the easier it's going to get, the more of a habit it's going to become. So if you're looking, well, how do I start? Start with the small things. Start with things that you you can kind of ask for forgiveness. You can seek forgiveness. And frankly, they're kind of low stakes. Um, you know, you, you're supposed to do the dishes and your, your spouse or your, or someone else does them for you. You say, Hey, I'm sorry, I should have done the dishes. Right? Like that's a very low stakes confession. But if you start doing that, even with the little things it can, it can start getting you in that mindset more often. And you can start genuinely seeking forgiveness, genuinely being penitent for bigger and bigger things. Um, so, yeah. With that, Josh, you got a, you got a takeaway for today's episode. I think my takeaway is kind of, it's going to be on the flip side of this. Sure. If you're listening to this and people around you are showing repentance they're seeking forgiveness, especially yours, give it Mm -hmm. to them. Be one of those people that shows mercy in the world so that penitence is easier to cultivate because we see mercy more often. I dig that. What about you, man? I'm going to go with, since we're in the Lenten season, and I'm assuming that most people will listen to this podcast within the next week, um, really take these next however many days we have left. We have 39 as we're recording this. It's going to be down to 34. Counting or not counting the Sundays is always weird. Um, But we're going to have some number of days left in Lent after this episode comes out. Take those days and especially your worship experiences during that time where you come together and you confess with your brothers and sisters in Christ to really confess maybe places and times where you haven't sought mercy, where you haven't been merciful uh, and seek God's help in in growing in in penitence and faithfulness. Um, And I think that'll be a, big blessing to you on the back end. Um, it's almost as if maybe your, your Lenten fasting is pride. Uh, I think you could even go so far, you know, since we all screw up every day is you say for the, for the 40 days of left of Lent or however many are left when you listen to this podcast, Mm -hmm. I am going to genuinely no excuses, ask for forgiveness once a day for the 40 Mm -hmm. days of Lent. And if you say, well, what if I don't have something to confess every day? Well, then you're not thinking hard enough because I am sure that each and every one of us has done something we shouldn't at some point during the day. Um, So, And if you're wondering how, just pray the Lord's Prayer. You'll get there. Yeah, there you go. Um, To kind of close the podcast, we thank you for listening. Uh, 
if you have any feedback for this new platform, if it makes a difference to you, I don't know how much, especially if you're listening, I don't know how much of a difference it's going to make for you. Uh, let us know. We do appreciate the feedback. And if you have any topics or any hosts, guests that you'd like us to try and bring on, please let us know. We, we appreciate that. And we will do our best to get to those topics, to bring those hosts on. Depending on how far you're reaching, they might not say yes to us, but we will, we will try our best. And uh, if you found this episode helpful, if you know people who would find this episode helpful, share it. Share it on, on your Facebook, on your X account. Uh, just text it to someone, whatever, whatever your method of sharing things with people is. And go ahead and subscribe on whatever platform you prefer to listen on. We are on all of the major ones, so uh, we love to see those subscriptions. It, it makes us feel... <laughs> On our bad days, it makes us feel like we're worth something. And on our good days, it makes us feel better about ourselves. So, um, yeah. I think that's all the announcements we have. We do we're, still have gear. You can still buy a t-shirt with our the silhouette of our faces on it. Yeah. And, uh, and we appreciate you. We appreciate you tuning in. We appreciate you taking the time to listen to what we have to say. And we hope that this season of Lent is, is genuinely a season of, of penitence for you. And we'll uh, we'll try to get back to releasing episodes every week. We apologize for the week off here. We had a yeah. we had a guest that had to back out last minute, and then Ben's I, head fell my, apart. Yeah, <laughs> it was just it was just hot mess after hot mess. Yeah, basically we figured out most of them. Yeah. Yep. With all that being said, brothers and sisters, uh, thanks again for listening. Go in peace and serve the Lord. Thanks be to God. <laughs>